We're delighted to have Silas and Darlene Codier with us visiting. Good to have you here. And um, I hope to have some uh, congratulations cards for you to sign, um, maybe after this meeting, but certainly next Sunday for our graduates, Eliana and Hannah and Rachel Kaltoff. We're studying in Romans 5. In past weeks, we have asked, and the Apostle Paul has answered vital questions about God's salvation, like, who is guilty before God? Who needs to be saved? Everybody. <laughs> uh, we, uh, we went through that very meticulously, very carefully in uh, chapter 3, um, and the Apostle stated, there is none righteous, no, not one, no Jew, no Gentile, um, no one is, uh, is righteous before God. Each of us needs to be saved. Well, can a person earn righteousness through the law? Can a person, by obedience, by obeying the Ten Commandments, can he earn salvation? Well, Paul wrote also in Romans 3, he said, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. People try. Um, a friend of mine, um, his hope for heaven is that um, he obeyed the Ten Commandments, or he's obeying the Ten Commandments, but uh, he doesn't know many of them. He, he can't tell uh, more than a couple of them, so that's really a, a shoddy uh, reason for, um, for going to heaven. But really the law was intended not for, um, not for obeying for um, worth of going to heaven, but instead to show us how desperately wicked and sinful we are, how crooked we are. The, the Lord gives us a straight line and we see how crooked we are. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God revealed his righteousness apart from obedience to the law in Romans 3.21 through faith in the Lord Jesus. So God's righteousness is totally apart from the law, and that, um, that righteousness is through faith. We'll, we'll look at that through faith in the Lord Jesus. Can a person become righteous through any other good works? If the law is not going to sustain me, it's not going to, to help me, uh, to heaven, then are there other good things that I can do? And uh, Paul related to us in Romans 4 that not even Abraham, not even Abraham could uh, come to God by good deeds, but solely on the, on the basis of believing God. Last week, we looked at Romans 4, 13 through 25, where the Apostle Paul showed something of the nature of faith. What is, what is faith? What is that like? God promised Abraham a son when he was 100 years old. Doesn't sound too impossible, but his wife was 90 years old. That's, okay, that's impossible. And they believed God. They believed that God was able to perform that which he promised. And God credited 
to Abraham's account, righteousness. Abraham, you believe, you take me at my word, I'm uh, crediting righteousness to your account. God credits righteousness to sinners today who take him at his word. God's word for today is that Jesus died for your sins and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. God credits the believer righteousness through faith just as he credited Abraham with righteousness through faith. The act of, um, and by the way, this, um, this message uh, for today, we simply know as the gospel, the good news, the, um, the glad tidings of God. The act of God crediting one with righteousness is called justification. Five syllables, okay? That's the longest word we're going to study this morning, justification. Understanding justification is a foundation to our study this morning and to understanding the next chapters in Romans. So please, get this right. If you're not clear what justification means, read back through uh, chapters 3 through 5. And if the concept is still hazy, ask a brother or sister to, to help you understand. What is justification? In simple terms, the, the biblical meaning of justify is to declare righteous. Easy. Declare righteous. God doesn't make a person righteous or sinless in himself, but instead he puts righteousness to the believer's account, to the sinner's account. People today define um, have a definition of justified as justified never sinned, okay? Justified never sinned. While this is a fun way to remember the meaning of justified, it captures only half the, the meaning. Justified never sinned. It's, um, it misses the larger portion of God's accounting. God not only releases the sinner from his guilt, but he also credits full righteousness to his account. So there's the, there's the forgiveness of sin, and there's the, uh, there's the, the crediting, the accounting of righteousness to, to that person's account. Marvelous, really, that um, there's a, a sin that I've known uh, all my life forgiven, and there's a righteousness that uh, I never added to that's been given to my account. That's, that's wonderful. Because we have righteousness credited to us, God is now free to load the sinner with his wonderful benefits, his infinite benefits. And we're going to see uh, several of those benefits this morning. With your understanding of what uh, justification means, we're ready to begin our study of Romans 5, 1 through 11. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. 
And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, that while we were, yet sin- while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We'll we'll divide up our scripture portion into four sections this morning. We'll look at verses 1 through 5. God gives peace and hope to those he justifies. Uh, Verses 6 through 8, who were we that God justified? Verses 9 and 10, what Christ will do for God's justified ones. And verse 11, how God's justified ones should respond. Verse 1, therefore... Paul is uh, linking his, um, uh, his writing this morning to uh, what has gone before. Um, everything about, um, about faith, about uh, righteousness being uh, credited through faith. And um, what we talked about, Abraham uh, believing God's promise, taking God at his word, and, uh, and us We, taking God at his word. Um, So Paul is saying, in light of all that, in view of all that we've covered so far, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace. We've been justified by faith, It's past tense, Paul says, having been justified. It's not a continual process. It's not a future process. But it's um, upon our confession of faith, upon our believing the Lord Jesus, we are justified. We sang in our hymn, um, born of the Spirit with life from above into God's family divine, justified fully through Calvary's love. Oh, what a standing is mine. And the transaction so quickly was made, when as a sinner I came, took of the offer of grace he did proffer. He saved me, O praise his dear name. Um, John W. Peterson seems to appreciate the transaction so quickly being made that in in a split second, that moment I trust the Lord Jesus, I'm justified. I'm credited with, uh, with all that God has to give me in righteousness. My sins are forgiven. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's a quick and permanent uh, transaction that God makes. 
the ju justification takes place in the mind of God and not in my nervous system, okay? So when God justifies the sinner, it's not dependent on my feelings, on how I'm doing on a particular day. I'm victorious. I'm uh, defeated. doesn't matter. God has, uh, has justified, and it's something that he has, has credited uh, in heaven to my account. The first benefit that the apostle names is peace. Each of us is born into the world a warrior. It's um, part of our nature. It's something that we inherited from our great-great-great-grandfather, Adam. As a young person, I was contrary to my parents. I resisted their authority. I bucked um, at their restrictions. It was symptomatic of um, rebellion against God. I hated authority because um, it was limiting the things that I wanted to do. Jesus purchased our peace with God. We're no longer adversaries, but we're now joined with him. We, we share uh, his, um, his values. His, uh, we're willing um, subjects to his rule, to his management. And uh, when I came to the Lord Jesus, my relationship with my parents changed. It was dramatic. Peace. Peace with God. It's, um, it's an infinite um, possession. It's a, a cherished treasure. And it's a far larger package, weightier than this simple box, okay? But by illustration, we have the peace of God. In verse 2, um, through our Lord Jesus, uh, we also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. The Lord Jesus ushers us continually into the presence of his Father's kindness and friendliness. Um, the Lord Jesus takes us there. He, um, he clothes us in his righteousness. He washes us in his blood. He, uh, he brings us into the presence of um, God's favor, his kindness, his friendliness. And so we have this, uh, this access into grace. Again, a far larger, infinitely precious and weighty uh, benefit that God gives us, access into his grace. For how long? How long can we enjoy this access to, uh, to God's special favor? Well, um, Paul says um, that we have access, all right? It's my present possession. And he says, it's access in which I stand, in which we stand. And that speaks of permanence. 
So this access is a present and permanent possession that I have. In verse, um, verse 2, uh, let's see, and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. There's a third benefit. Hope is not a vague, wishful longing. I hope the bus is here uh, by 7.30 because I need to get to work. Well, <laughs> sorry, uh, the bus didn't arrive. Um, instead, it's, uh, it's uh, what um, the dictionary defines as a favorable and confident expectation. It's a, uh, it's a sure thing, and God offers us hope. He's given us hope. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. What is our hope in? We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Well, we kind of uh, touched on that during our worship meeting this morning. The glory of God is um, His excellence, His, His manifested power, His love, His, uh, His attributes. And Paul is looking toward the uh, the glorious return of the Lord Jesus to gather his saints to their home. And this is the hope that, um, that uh, Paul holds before us. And not only the Lord's return, but um, it's a glory that the Lord Jesus shares, um, that uh, we will share with him as, uh, when he returns in the clouds. Bill McDonald writes, we cannot comprehend the full significance of that hope here on earth, nor will we ever get over the wonder of it through all eternity. Something I can't comprehend. The glory of, of, uh, of meeting the Lord Jesus in the air um, and then to, uh, to enjoy that for all eternity. It's, um, it's just staggering. It's something I'm not going to get over. We rejoice in this hope. Please note carefully that we, uh, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It's, um, it's a boasting that we have. It's that, um, uh, that gladness that we have in the confidence that Jesus is coming again for us. In verse 3, and not only that, but we also glory in Tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Hmm. Our fourth benefit glory in trials, in tribulations. The apostle seems to be just stacking these benefits one on top of the other. How many of us really welcome suffering? How many of us start our day and say, I'm going to suffer today? Paul did. Paul did. He gloried in it. The glory, the, um, the glory that Paul 
uh, had in tribulations is the same word in the original as rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. Paul rejoiced in suffering. Did he enjoy pain? No, he did not. He prayed for relief from pain. But he, um, he realized that in dealing with oppressive people and pressing circumstances, that God had a purpose that he would not realize outside of the press. All right? Paul's focus was not on the pain of the trial, but on the good that would come from it. This good that Paul knew starts with um, perseverance, patience, endurance. And actually, um, that word, we don't want to miss it, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, it, um, it creates, it generates perseverance. Okay, so when we're in the depth of the trial, um, that trial is actually uh, producing, actually making endurance in our character. That um, in the original, perseverance means literally an abiding or staying under. Kenneth Wiest writes in his word studies, we should remain under trials in a God-honoring way so as to learn the lesson they are sent to teach. Rather than attempt to get out from under them in an effort to be relieved of their their pressure, we should stay under the trial, ask the Lord, what are you intending here for your servant? Learn the lesson and not scoot out from under it, okay? That's, uh, that's the meaning of perseverance. Perseverance, in verse 4, produces character. Character is a proven character. It's a tried integrity. It's a state of mind that has stood the test. We, um, uh, we remain true to the Lord under fire. There was a, a problem a severe problem, and uh, we look to the Lord for his, his comfort and his, uh, his lesson for us. So perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. And um, we, when we've been through the fire, we've been through the trial, We've, um, we've relied on the Lord for his, uh, his comfort, his provision, his faithfulness. Then we, we learn to, uh, to have that confident expectation in his, his return. We have that, um, that hope, that, um, that joyful expectation of the Lord's return, the Lord's reward, and, uh, and being with the Lord. It makes being with the Lord so much more precious to have successfully come through the trial. And this is what Paul was after. He realized that adversity made him strong in God's grace. James phrased it this way, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
Now, in verse 5, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The, um, the hope that we have is not a wishful longing. It's not a vague desire, but um, it's a uh, confidence that we have based on God's word, based on his promises, and therefore it's absolutely certain. The writer of Hebrews said, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. God's promises are a done deal. It's as if they've already happened. And so we, we can take those and build our lives. We can take risks for God uh, because he has promised. In life's dark and bitter hour, love will still prevail. Tis his everlasting power. I'm sorry, trust his everlasting power. Jesus will not fail. The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us, and this is, the, um, uh, this is why hope does not disappoint. God gives us his Holy Spirit the moment we believe, when that um, the transaction was made, and the Holy Spirit floods our souls with the love of God, and by this love he assures us that he will see us safely home to heaven. Bill wrote in his commentary, Bill McDonald, after you receive the Spirit, you will sense that God loves you. This is not a vague, mystical feeling that someone up there uh, loves, cares about humanity, but it's the deep-seated conviction that a personal God really loves you as an individual. God poured out in our hearts uh, his love by his Holy Spirit. Well, those are four benefits that God has given us. Who were we that God justified? Paul launches into this in verse 6. He says that when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Without strength simply means that we were powerless to do any good. The, um, the good acts, the good deeds that we thought we did, we, um, we really did in our pride or in our um, desire to uh, deserve salvation. And they were tainted, um, tainted with that. Um, wrong, wrong motives. Paul says, um, when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. The word for simply means for the sake of, instead of, in our place. Christ died as our substitute. The ungodly are those who are reverent, uh, irreverent, and contrary to God. So uh, that, that characterizes, um, uh, that describes all of us in our natural state, that we were ungodly, we were contrary to him, we were fighting against him. Brother MacDonald, in his um, devotional guide, uh, One Day at a Time, wrote of a distinguished, upper-class 
matron, a lady who prided herself in her social involvement and her giving to charity. One day, her Christian neighbor came to her and, and uh, um, told her of her need for salvation. And she said, oh no. She said, I'm a church member. I come from a long uh, family of, of Christians. And so uh, I'm quite, uh, quite satisfied that I will go to heaven. The, um, the, uh, the neighbor wrote in big letters on a slip of paper, he wrote, ungodly. And he, uh, he took it and he said, do you mind if I pin this to your blouse? And she bristled. She said, you will not call me ungodly. And the, the neighbor said, well, you've really cut yourself off from the benefits of Jesus' death because it says that he died for the ungodly. Okay? Jesus died for the ungodly. There was um, no excellence, there was no desirability, no attractiveness in ourselves that would have drawn God to, uh, to make a sacrifice. It's all within his character. It's all his love. He set his love upon us, the unattractive, the unlovely, he loves. In verse 7, For scarcely for a righteous man will die, yet perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his love. Interesting um, that that's in the present tense. God demonstrates, not that he demonstrated his love for us in that Christ died, um, but he demonstrates. Weist, uh, in his word studies, said, um, note the present tense. God continually establishes his love in that, in that the death of Christ remains as its most striking manifestation. Um, what that means is that the, the death of Christ is the, uh, is the ultimate expression of God's love and remains so. God demonstrates his love for us in, um, in the death of his son for sinners. It's a rare case that a man would give up his life for one who seems worthy, likable, kind, uh, a pillar of society, but certainly not for a convicted felon or a uh, murderer or a child molester. And yet uh, these are the ones for whom Christ died, for sinners. Charles Wesley wrote, Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued, Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? These are the ones for whom Jesus died. And um, in verse 9, Paul writes, Much more than, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. If God has bought us at this infinite cost to himself, he's not going to abandon us, but um, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Wrath in this verse is future, and um, we who uh, by faith have come to God 
and been justified, recognize that the great white throne judgment, God's judgment of sinners, his sentencing of, of uh, the lost to hell, is a, a thing of the past. And yet, um, uh, this wrath, Paul says, is future. At least, um, at least one commentator believes that Paul is referring to uh, the tribulation, the uh, seven years of God's tribulation, where he's pouring out bowl after bowl of, um, of judgment into a rebellious earth. Others uh, believe that um, Paul is referring to the great white throne. In either case, Jesus saves us from God's wrath. So we find in the security of Jesus Christ our fifth benefit. Security in him. Paul goes back to um, uh, thought about who we were, who were justified. He says in verse 10, for if we were enemies, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Paul noted that we were enemies as, um, as he did in... Um, in the earlier verse, and um, that having put our trust in, in Christ, we're now justified, and that enmity, that uh, state of being a, an enemy has been uh, put away, has been reconciled. To reconcile is to change a relationship from being an enemy to being a friend. Abraham Lincoln is credited with uh, having said the, um, the best way to get rid of an enemy is to make him your friend. And God has done this. He has conquered his enemies by bringing them to himself as his friends. God is never said to be reconciled, but men to God. There is nothing in God to reconcile. We were content to remain enemies of God. God had to take the initiative. He had to step out and uh, extend peace to his, uh, his warring creatures. So um, really, uh, he's, he's given that reconciliation to his enemies. We shall be saved by Christ's life. The end of verse 10. We shall be saved by his life. God paid too dearly to ever let us go. He, uh, he will save his reconciled enemies and preserve them by the life of Jesus. Beautiful verse in John 14. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. John 14, 19. We live because Jesus lives. And there's a wonderful uh, illustration of this in the life of David. I'm not sure if you sisters covered this in your study of difficult people in the, in the um, example of Abigail. But um, David, um, future king, 
David um, mounted an assault against um, foolish Nabal um, because of Nabal's uh, insult um, to David. And Abigail, his wife, intercepted David on his way to, the, um, to their, their house, their farm. And uh, she said this of David prophetically, 1 Samuel 25, 29. She said, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. The life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. She could see in David the uh, prophecies of, um, of God, of Jehovah, and that um, David was, uh, was destined for the throne. Not only so, but that he was, um, he was God's, uh, a man after God's own heart. And so she recognized that uh, the life of David was bundled in the living, among the living in, uh, in the Lord, with the Lord his God. Now, we take, uh, we take a sheaf of uh, stalks and we bind those stalks together. What an interesting picture this is of the believers being the stalks um, for a moment and being bound together with the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is there too. We all make one sheaf. And uh, so Jesus said, um, because I live, you will live also. And that supports uh, Paul's statement, we shall be saved by his life. No one can touch us. No one can, can alter our life because G we're alive with Jesus. How should we then uh, respond in verse 11? And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We're not only um, saved, uh, bound in the life of Christ, but um, for the first time when we believe, we can rejoice in God. We rejoice not in the uh, giver, I'm sorry, not in the gift, but in the giver. We're glad when we remember him. We're sad when we forget him. And the, uh, Habakkuk said in his uh, chapter 3, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. This too we have received from the Lord Jesus Christ. This isn't going to tip over. I already tried it. Our seventh benefit on the list is, um, is the reconciliation. It's that harmony between God and man because of the sacrificial work of Jesus on the cross. I, I keep um, uh, coming across this phrase through uh, our Lord Jesus Christ. We, um, we see all these benefits coming through him. Reconciliation.
Mavericks. How should we respond as those whom God has justified? He tells us in, uh, in verse 2, rejoice. He tells us in uh, verse 11, rejoice. Rejoice not just for the hope of the glory of God, not just for the giver, but for all the benefits in between. Let's pray. What a marvelous work you've accomplished through our Lord Jesus to to grant us so many benefits as as righteous in him. We um, pray for those who don't yet know you, Lord, that they might see uh, the the benefit of uh, coming to you, of being yours. We, um, as your justified ones, we want to, um, to launch out in the strength that you give, in the hope, in your love, in the reconciliation. We want, to, um, we want to do your work. We want to do so boldly and uh, energetically. We want to worship you. We want to look forward to, um, to your return, Lord Jesus. And so remind us as we go through this week of all the benefits that we have in justification. In Jesus' name, amen.